Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to... Is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so... Um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars as we're here, get set for another week. And whilst there's a bit of a break in racing action, I thought it'd be great to have two team owners on. So joining us from... Triple Ace Race Engineering, of course, Red Bull Racing Australia and the Caltex Vortex team is Roland Dane. Good evening, Roland. Yeah, hi, Craig. Good uh, to talk to you. And from Dick Johnson team, Dick Johnson Racing Team, Penske, it's Ryan Story. Good evening, Ryan. G'day, Craig. How are you doing? Hi, Roland. Ryan, I guess, first of all, where did your interest in motorsport begin? Well, I think that uh, I, was, I was privileged enough to grow up in South Australia at the time uh, when we had the Grand Prix in Adelaide, and I think that uh, probably ignited the interest. Very fortunate to grow up in that time, and eventually got into uh, the touring car scene and Bathurst, and getting to go and watch it live at Malala, and uh, it sort of grew from there. What about you, Roland? Uh, yeah, I, I developed an interest very early when I was a, a kid uh, in Ireland and then in England. Um, and uh, around two wheels in particular, uh, and an avid reader of, of every bit of motorsport press at the time. Uh, my parents had no interest in motorsport whatsoever, so I went and found other like-minded people to uh, to take me to go and to go and watch um, events. And of course, um, in the UK in particular, very spoilt for for choice as a as a teenager on uh, what to go and watch on both two and four wheels. Did you have a hero? Uh, definitely Mike Aylwood, for sure. And what about in the Irish scene? Um, I mean, later on, uh, later on, Joey Dunlop uh, was a big, uh, a big hero. Uh, certainly when I was um, still at school, it was, um, it was, all, all Halewood, um, and uh, but yeah, the yeah, I love the fact that um, that Dunlop um, came from came from Northern Ireland, where I was born, uh, and uh, it's very um, it's very difficult not to be almost mesmerised by his um, not only his skill but his his whole approach to. Um, to motorsport and riding bikes at crazy speeds on on normal roads. Uh, of course, it is such a dangerous sport. Was it the danger and the risk they were taking that was your, you know, was what was drawing you to it? Um, it's more the fact that we were all trying to do it on normal roads anyway, and uh, uh, when we were riding our bikes from sixteen years old. Um, yeah, we were all riding by like lunatics, and we were lucky we weren't dead um, very early on. And uh, of course, when I was nineteen, I started to to race on on two wheels, and uh, and then discovered that um, that there are actually a lot of people out there who appeared to be a lot stupider than I was. Ryan, was it the daredevil aspect for you? Oh, look, I I, I uh, Never, never had the means to, uh, ne- never had the means to get into karting or anything like that, which was something that I always aspired to as a, as a young kid. But uh, certainly that that risk aspect was uh, was always a part of it. And I, I remember vividly as a kid, um, Senna obviously dying at Imola, and and interestingly, I'm, I'm a bit of a bit of an avid motorsport historian. I've got a bit of a art gallery, so to speak, in my office, and I recently. Uh, got an original piece from Greg McNeil of uh, Alberto Ascari uh, at Monaco in 1955 and sort of thinking about that period when he uh, he uh, ignominiously uh, went off at the uh, chicane there out, out of the tunnel, had to swim to safety, 
was killed in a testing crash at Monza four days later. And a couple of weeks after that is the infamous um, tragedy at Le Mans with Pierre Levar. And you sort of put all that together. It's a pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting looking at the history of it, and, uh, and I suppose that that real, real risk that uh, fortunately is not as prevalent today. Mm. And a, a lot of work has been done to ensure that, and I guess that is one of the the critical things that we'll get to eventually, I'm sure. But uh, what would you be doing, Ryan, if you weren't involved in Dick Johnson Racing Team Penske? Well, I'm very fortunate, Craig, to uh, basically be involved in the position that I'm in. I sort of uh, came from a business background in in politics and and, and absolutely loved politics and had this passion for motorsport. And uh, basically um, basically the, the, the passion became... The, uh, the, the the vocation, so to speak, and uh, and I think that uh, if I wasn't uh, involved in what I'm doing now, I'd probably be back in that world. Mm. So, with it being all-consuming, with uh, motorsport taking up so much time, it's it, it is a seven-day-a-week, twenty-four-seven type uh, occupation. What would what do you do to get away? What do you do to take your head out of the motor racing space, Ryan? Well, I think that again, I'm sort of fortunate. There are a couple of elections on, and uh, my business is uh, still involved in, in some of those. So it's uh, it's a it's a it's an occasional brief respite uh, getting engaged in that. But uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's all encompassing and, and 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 incredibly challenging, especially with where we're at and certainly where we've been over the last couple of years. That uh, it certainly takes up an enormous amount of effort and energy, and I wouldn't have it any other way. What about for you, Roland? How do you how do you turn off and and get away from it all? Uh, well, if if I want to, and uh, don't necessarily want to that often, but uh, if I want to, no, I, I go sailing. Um, and something that I've been involved in um, all my life, and uh, uh, I keep a, a racing boat in um, in Thailand, and. Um, try and do four or five regattas up there every year. Uh, and um, it's a pretty high-quality um, little circuit up there with a number of um, good competitors from Singapore and Hong Kong and Thailand, Malaysia, and we have a good time as well as racing hard. So that's been uh, been pretty important uh, to me. But uh, by the same token, I also... Yeah, I love motorsport, and um, uh, I never miss an opportunity to try and see what's going on elsewhere in the world, whether it's uh, yeah going there myself or, or just watching it. I like to know what's going on and who's doing what and how the economics of it works. So if you're involved in motorsport at the level that, that we are, then uh, you need to understand what's going on everywhere else, and that can be uh, pretty time-consuming. Mm. How did you get into this sailing? Uh, my uh, my father was um, passionate um, boatman, and uh, I had uh, had my first uh, first dinghy when I was um, four or five years old. I guess growing up on an island, it's like living in Australia. You have to learn to swim in case it sinks. Uh, well, <clears throat> we certainly had to learn to swim straight away when my father was a an SAS officer and uh, pretty tough. You had to know how to look after yourself before you're allowed out in the boat, let me tell you. Mm. Now, uh, uh, something I heard about you, Roland, is you also have a great interest in Irish migration and you you do a lot of study or research on that. Is that correct? Well, I've certainly uh, made sure I I understand and have read plenty of uh, history about, um, uh, yeah, about uh, Irish... uh, uh, migration and history over the last three, four hundred years, and uh, in particular to Australia, and uh, and what went on in the um, in the very late 1700s, and then the first part of the 1800s, uh, and how so many Irish people uh, ended up ended up in um, in Australia under you know, dubious. Dubious, dubious British um, legal interpretation of what what uh, a convict was, and um, so it's interesting to me to understand um, the, the history of, of how so many Irish people became dispersed around the world. Mm. 
Mm. Well, we might talk about some car racing after the break here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two Lava Center boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with... Ryan Story and Roland Dane, and uh, I guess this year both your teams have had an interesting start to the season. Roland, how do you rate the performance of the team this year? Um, yeah, it's been pretty good, but uh, and reasonably consistent, but just not uh, not quite uh, at the the overall level that um, we would have liked so far, um, but. Uh, by the same token, the whole game has uh, has been raised uh, once again by the fact that there are so many competitive um, cars and drivers now. Stability in the rules always um, sucks people together in terms of their um, competitive performance. And that's what we're seeing at the moment and uh, seeing a more level playing field than we've ever had before. Uh, and so I'm not disappointed, but I'd always like to have uh, have won uh, several more races by now, and we've certainly been in a position to do so. Uh, we've, um, we've failed to maximise a couple of times, which has irritated me, but... Uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, has produced some great, um, some great on-track uh, racing um, for the category as a whole. Mm. Ryan, what about your team? Where do you see the 2016 so far? Well, I think uh, we we started off the year in the best of ways, getting our, our first pole position uh, with Scotty in Adelaide, and I think that that uh, was a, uh, certainly buoyed buoyed the group. We we brought in a lot of new faces at the beginning of the year, not to mention a new driver in the second car and uh, what we've really struggled with this year has been consistency in that we've shown glimpses of, of really strong one lap pace and you've seen that reflected in some of our qualifying results but we haven't been able to to uh, return serve so to speak when it comes to uh, the races and a lot of that's been down to how we're running the cars and, and we're striving to do a better job with that, with that and also understand the package that we've got underneath us. But I think that uh, as we continue to, to bet our group down and and, 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 uh, and those guys continue to work together well, well, we'll iron out some of those little mistakes that we've been making and uh, and, and hopefully uh, continue to, to, to show uh, improving signs of competitiveness. So we've come away with a couple of podiums too, which, which we're, we're quite proud of, but uh, ultimately our, our goal is to be uh, competitive week in, week out, and we're still uh, quite a bit away from doing that. Mm. Increasing the team by an extra car, both of you have gone through that this year. What, Ryan, has been the challenges for your team? Well, I think it's uh, it's the standard of presentation that we have now. So it, it may have only been uh, 12 months that we did scale back to, to one car, but it's a comprehensive, uh, comprehensively different way of, of, of operating from, from how we were as Dick Johnson racing at the end of uh, 2014 compared to the, the standard that uh, we strive for um, with, uh, with the partnership we have with Team Penske now. So it was a big, big step. Um, we brought in a lot of new people, uh, and, uh, and, and I think that uh, we're still finding our feet there. I've been very fortunate in some of the key guys we, we brought in, people like Ben Croak, who's uh, our crew chief there, has done a sensational job of, uh, of getting in place some of the structure and, and discipline that we need to get the most out of the guys who, uh, who work on the cars. And uh, from that point of view, things have been, uh, been heading in the right direction for sure. And we can see, we can see a hell of a lot of progress in, in how we've come together from the off-season and we've been fortunate now we're introducing our second new car of the year and, and that only comes from, from, from having good people. So 
I think the signs are there. We just need to continue to pull it all together and, and start getting a return of investment on, on some of those things. Mm. Roland, what's been your challenge to go to the third car? Um, yeah, it's uh, most most of the challenges are, are pretty obvious in just trying to ensure that you've got um, the right good people in the right places. Uh, and, um, yeah, we already had... Uh, a big part of the infrastructure that we needed to um, physically to to run a third car. So um, more a, more a question of of just making sure everyone settled down into their new roles. Uh, we had to, certainly had to take on uh, yeah, like Ryan some new people uh, and um, bed those people down. Um, but there's uh, there's been a, a really good rapport and a really good. Um, uh, buzz about the place uh, in the in the last six months as we've uh, as we've got into this um, new for us this new structure of running of running three cars. So um, it's a it's made easier when you've got when you've got good people and the and the third car is uh, well financed and that's that's the difference for. To be honest, compared with um, most setups, is that uh, our third car is is properly financed, and that enables me to put the right the right people in place. Traditionally, Roland, you've brought people up. You've got them in and taught them. I guess is there a triple eight way? Uh, yeah, there most certainly is. But it doesn't mean that um, you can't pick it up, and it doesn't mean that. Um, it also that it can't be modified by other people coming in with um, with better ideas sometimes. So uh, I'm not um, I'm not proud from the point of view of uh, not wanting to change the way we do we do things. So yeah, we do bring up a lot of people from uh, uh, whether they've come out of TAFE or university uh, or have only just spent a year or two in uni. On the other hand, we also have people coming in. Um, uh, every so often from from other teams, whether it's in um, in Australia or in or in Europe, uh, and um, only too happy to to take on board the things that they've learnt as as well. So there is a triple eight uh, way, most definitely. But on the other hand, it's also uh, it's a it's a flexible ethos, and it can um, and it can be modified and changed um, as needs be. Mm. So what do you feel there's still to do as you move into the, the northern stretch of the season? Um, yeah, there's there's always things to do, whether it's yeah, around the, the increasing to three cars or, or just the um, uh, the normal course of, of running two cars we have for many years. So, um, look, I, our, our biggest challenge um, uh, at the moment is to maintain consistency through the rest of the year, uh, that means having uh, our preparation down to a T. We've let ourselves down a couple of times recently in that area, uh, so uh, we're making sure that we've got enough components. We're making sure that we're continually also uh, building uh, building new cars because we can we can feed them through to the development series uh, very successfully at the moment, and uh, whilst also uh, ensuring that we get better at our own uh, personal preparation uh, for our cars. That way, we can maintain our consistency into the, as you put it, the, the northern end, the, the the second half of the season. Mm. Ryan, what have you got to do, and what have you got to work on? Well, I think it's it's consistency for us as well, and 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 our ability to uh, to be able to. Uh, qualify up the front and, and finish races there so we've got a, we've got quite a bit of work to do there and, and, and we have a reasonable understanding of, of where we're deficient and it's not a straightforward exercise to turn that around but uh, our focus will uh, will turn shortly to the longer races and and that's something we're going to put a, a heck of a lot of emphasis behind um, as, as, a, as a way of hitting the reset switch and, and, and using uh, Using what we've done year to date as as, as 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 experience, I suppose, betting in new people, new ideas, and uh, and different ways of doing things, and and trying to uh, to go out and do the best job we can. Mm. Now, what surprised you with the you've seen at Triple Eight this season, Ryan? Uh, what surprised me about Triple Eight? Mm. 
Well, I think surprise. I would replace surprise with impressed, and and that's really how quickly uh, they managed it, at, at, even at Albert Park, to get one, two, three. It's it's hard not to applaud that. It's hard enough to get one car on the podium, yet alone two, yet alone three. And I don't think any other uh, team with more than two cars has managed to get all of their cars uh, in, a, in a finish like that. I don't think um, I don't even think ProDrive managed to achieve it. So it's a hell of a feat, and it shows the class and the pedigree that uh, that we're racing against. I mean, when you look at uh, what Team Penske represents, what Roger Penske represents, and 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 their success, uh, with all due credit to Roland, he's built an equivalent machine here, and uh, and it's it's something to aspire towards. And we know when we beat those guys, uh, we've either we've done a very good job or or, or something something's gone wrong up their end. But uh, any time you beat those guys, it's a good day. Mm. Roland, what have you seen down at Ryan's end of the garages that uh, has surprised you? Yeah, um, I don't think I've seen anything that has surprised me. I expected them to become a force to be reckoned with, um, and from the yeah, from the minute the the deal got done, um, I didn't think. To be perfectly honest, I didn't think that uh, it would happen very much last year because I thought the the choice with Marcus was odd. Um, and that set the team up on the wrong footing to start with. But they started to find their feet later last year, and when I and I always knew they would start to um, put the right people in place because you don't do as well as um, as uh, Roger Penske has without um, understanding where your weaknesses are and what you have to do about it. And so, uh, having um, a second car was you know, not to do that would have been crazy, just crazy. So having a second car, uh, as soon as that happened, you knew that they really were going to take a step up. It wasn't a question of maybe, it was a question that they would. Um, getting uh, Phil Keed there, um, getting Adam Debore gave them a, a lot of um, current uh, contemporary information uh, which made a lot of sense, along with Fabian. Um, and uh, you saw a package starting to come together, and I, I knew that would happen at some stage. And uh, I think that it, they're going to be the biggest um, competition for us um, over the next few years, assuming that we, we, we keep uh, running um, near the sharp end of the field, that they will absolutely be the, the main competition. Uh, because they're well financed and and they know how to to run race teams. Mm. Now I'm interested. You said you've always thought the marker strategy was wrong. I think hindsight shows you're right. But what strategically did you see in that decision that was wrong? Um, that uh, I think that that was the the one mistake that I saw was that uh, thinking that what Marcus did a decade ago was going to be that relevant today. It's a bit like, um, and he don't get me wrong, he was a great driver. Uh, he mastered those cars at the time, but the whole thing had moved on. The regulations <laughs> had changed. The cars were different. Um, a bit like uh, you know, the second coming of Michael Schumacher. wasn't really a second coming of Michael Schumacher. Um, uh, he might have been a bit better than, the, than he showed up in that three-year spell with Mercedes, but um, to be honest, if you're a fan of Schumacher, you almost wish he hadn't done it, and uh, it's the same with um, it's, for me, it's the same with Marcus. Uh, I personally never thought that he would um, he'd be on the money. Uh, he might have been there or thereabouts, you know, top ten, but etc. no problem, but to be uh, competing with um, with Jamie Winkup and um, and Mark Winterbottom, uh, I didn't see it happening. Mm. Well, Ryan, before we go to the break, I'll, I'll just ask you the question. Had that car that was in the shipping container gone to America when you'd planned, do you think the outcome would have been a lot different? <laughs> uh, look, uh, I think it's 
it's one of those things that's interesting. And, and I think there's certainly, uh, I'd, I'd struggle to argue with the point that, uh, that, that Roland put then. I think that when, uh, when that was all discussed, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it occurred uh, before there was a commitment to partner with Dick Johnson Racing, that uh, Marcus and, and, and Roger had uh, come to a, an agreement that uh, were they to venture into, were Team Penske to venture into their supercars, that Marcus would be a key figure of that. So I think that had that uh, not come together, I don't think we would have seen uh, Roger enter the supercars. So I think on that basis, uh, I think I'm... Uh, I think I can look look back on the same place it happened. Certainly, there was a degree of, uh, I suppose, uh, underestimation of, of what the competition, uh, what the competition is, and the standard that, that the sport has grown to. No doubt about it. So perhaps a necessary misstep. Well, I think so, and, and I think in, ter- in terms of, of, of potentially a car finding its way over there, it's everything's relative, Craig. Um, could have pounded that thing around lap after lap after lap and, and and thought you were doing a good job, but realistically, what are you comparing it to? So uh, I think that uh, the outcome would have been the same. Mm. All right, a break here on Inside Supercars, but there's plenty more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at the Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Roland Dane and Ryan Story, and uh, we might change from teams to the event itself. And uh, Roland, are you happy with the way that the uh, formats are now? Have we got it right, or we ha- have you got it right, or is, do you need to do some more refining? Um, uh, you mean with the race formats? Race formats, yeah. Yeah, I think the race formats are, are pretty good. I mean. Uh, I think it speaks for itself in in terms of our television figures, um, the uh, as well as the the crowds at, um, at plenty of the events here. We've seen a bit of a resurgence this year, and um, and I think that comes down to like an awful lot of stuff in life comes down to product. And I think we've got the product pretty good at the moment. Ryan, do you think there needs to be some refining, or it's it's the right, right mix for the times. I think it's. Uh, I think it's working very well. I think the uh, the longer races on Saturdays uh, work incredibly well with the pit stops in them. I think it adds a bit of action. Um, we're not seeing formulaic races, and that's what we needed. That's uh, Roland hit the nail on the head. It's reflected in reflected in what we see in the TV ratings. And at the end of the day, that's that's really what counts. We provide a good product. People want to see it. Now, Charlie Swarcourt, after. Um after Saturday at Winton, was adamant he wants to be able to pit his car with his own staff. Would you support a single or three-car team, Ryan, having not having to share its crew members at pit stops? You, you were sharing a boom last year. Well, interestingly, we were in a unique situation last year when we had an odd-numbered field, and we elected to pair with uh, Techno, which are our neighbours in Stapleton there, and uh, we, we could have been in a position to do it on our own, and I made the decision on commercial realities, having to have the extra staff and also where I thought we were at that point in time as a team and I still think it was the right decision for us. But uh, I think fundamentally speaking, uh, the way that we have it now works and uh, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be advocating change. What about you, Roland? You've got a car on an extra boom? No, it's, it's uh, look. It's not going to change. Um, it's almost a waste of time talking about it. We don't have room in our pit lanes for have to have individual bays for each car like they're doing in NASCAR or or Indy. Um, yeah, we uh, we run whether we like it or not. We run to a to a, a more European model like a Formula One 
team where you see occasionally you see stacking in an F1 uh, pit lane. And uh, so we have shared booms uh, and there's an even number of cars. There's likely to be an even number of cars for the foreseeable future. And it means that if you're a single car operation or you've got a three-car team, then you've got to pair with somebody else. Um, and uh, the best thing to do is to try and make it work for you because it's not going to change. I don't think Charlie wants his own boom. I think he just wants his own men across the wall, if you like. Well, he can do that. You, there's, not, there's nothing in the rules to stop you having your own crew to go across. The only thing is you've got to sh- you, you can even have your own boom, but it's got to be uh, at, uh, right next to the other boom. There's only room for one car. But if you want a boom that's your own, you can have one. Mm. So, I, I thought there was rules in place to stop you how many crew members you could have at the no. track. Oh, there are. There are, rule, there are rules to stop, but there's nothing to stop you using all those crew members. I mean, it's impractical, but the, it's impractical to, to do that in reality because you need almost everyone over the line doing the pit stop. Mm. But, um, uh, but there's no rule to stop you. So, I mean, and single-car teams are allowed... Uh, one more person to give them more flexibility, yeah, on a pro rata basis per car. Um, so uh, he could do it, but it's impractical, and it's, uh, uh, um, I w- yeah, I wouldn't attempt to do it if, if I was him. I'd just get on and um, and make, yeah, and try and make the best of of sharing as we are with um, with Techno uh, and Craig's car, which um, which has. That's worked reasonably well so far. We're, we're all, all the time trying to make it better as techno are as well. Mm. All right. Now, uh, I'll ask Ryan this question second. So, Roland, when you're looking at the data, the, particularly the Repicon data and the figures that you're getting back from event coverage and, and event uh, fans on the ground, what have you seen over the last 18 months? Um, yeah, so since we've, um, since we've gone particularly to the... Uh, to the current television model, um, then there have been changes. But but overall, uh, the Repucom data uh, for Triple um, Eight and take it as as the two car Red Bull Racing Australia team, um, because that's comparable last year to this year and to the and back to 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it go up. So our uh, our data points have increased from uh, 14 through to 15, 15 through to 16. And uh, so last year, um, last year we had the highest uh, measurable uh, <laughs> QI value, as, as Repicon put it, mm-hmm. um, of any sports team in Australia outside of our, our national sports team, you know, like the, um, the, the test team, uh, for instance. So outside of those and all teams, whether it's um, NRL, AFL, etc., we were number one in the country. So uh, the, and in terms of just naming right sponsor, so uh, Red Bull, we were number four, but um, ProDrive were number one with, um, with uh, Pepsi, so uh, you can see that uh, our, our figures from our, the mixture of television that we've got, uh, or we had last year, and we've got this year, it's arrived at differently. There's no question that we've got more more viewing um, uh, minutes by a long shot, uh, but the, the overall value of what we're doing has gone up. Uh, and um, and that is a has been a very positive thing, uh, certainly for for Triple Eight over the last um, last eighteen months. And this year, we've started to see crowds um, increasing again. Adelaide, it didn't, but Adelaide's yeah is having a hard time, and I'm sure we'll have a hard time in Townsville because of, for economic reasons. But Winton, for instance, had their biggest crowd for years. Mm. Right. When you're looking at it, what are you seeing? Yeah, interestingly, uh, with our sponsorship model, in terms of the return having uh, different uh, different brands at, uh, on the on the car at each event, we see uh, different spikes. And we had uh, the two number one brands that got the the most return of investment 
for their limited appearances were at Shell Helix and Xbox last year. And curiously, the thing that, 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 that we've tracked over the last couple of years is, is whilst the TV numbers in terms of QI value have remained quite steady, it's been the increase in the digital space that's uh, been quite noteworthy. In fact, a lot of the value that we're seeing now is drawn from uh, some of the coverage we see uh, on the internet and on digital platforms. So that's been an interesting one to track and an interesting one to watch, as well as comparing that space uh, to other sports. Because when we talk about the commercial uh, platform and, and seeking sponsors, we're in a very competitive environment. So we have to look for unique selling points to V8 supercars, and we are an expensive sport, and there are some, there are some good news stories in, in how that's played out, certainly over the last 12 months, as we've seen that ongoing education process and promotion into how uh, the sports, uh, uh, sport is shown on, on, on the live and uh, on the free-to-air and, uh, and Foxtel uh, TV model. And I think that the audience change last year was, uh, was, was, was quite interesting in that we were down relative to the uh, final year we had on seven, but it was only a modest amount. And we saw over the course of the year, particularly in the later rounds when the free-to-air component of that was promoted, heavily promoted, people knew where to find it, when to find it. Uh, those ratings were, were quite quite considerable. considerable. So we, we see nothing but promising signs in that vein, and we also see opportunities in how some of that uh, some of that QI element is is measured and where it's where it's derived from. So if if I'm speaking to Ryan's story about sponsorship as compared to Roland, and I'll ask Roland this question later, am I coming to you for you to be able to allow me to put my signs on your car and sell more widgets, or am I coming to you because you're going to open up a network of other opportunities for me. Who would you like to answer that one first? You go first. Okay, so we we have two unique models. Uh, the first one is looking at the consumer marketplace, and in that instance you are looking at return of investment solely on the sort of figures that you see in Repicom. And we have a few sponsors in that vein in particular, and promotion and uh, awareness and some of those things are, are their key objectives to a partnership with, with our race team. Conversely, we're very fortunate through the Penske organisation here in Australia to have business-to-business and networking opportunities, not just inter-sponsored, but within the Penske businesses where we can demonstrate a measurable return that, frankly, no-one else can compete with. And that's basically uh, a, a very unique selling point in, in, the, uh, in the opportunity with us. And we see that uh, even uh, Shell Helix or Viva Energy, which is the uh, Shell licensee in Australia, uh, is a perfect example of that in terms of relationship and growing relationship uh, with uh, Penske Power Systems and Penske Commercial Vehicles. I mean, they're big businesses in Australia. They're growing businesses, 1,000 staff, uh, billion dollars worth of assets. Um, that connection is a hallmark of how Roger Penske goes racing, uh, both here and, and in the United States. So it's a unique way of, of broaching some of those commercial relationships, but we are able to tackle it from both of those fronts. Mm. So, Roland, when I'm selling widgets, but I'm coming to speak to PJ, am I looking at 888 for business to business, or am I looking for you to sell the widgets straight off the car type of thing, uh, from the viewers on the, seeing the signs? Well, the first thing, firstly, before I answer that, I'd just like to say that um, Ryan's on the money about the uh, about the um, social media and the uh, yeah the non-television way, the digital, um, if you like, uh, methodology of uh, for providing content to to our customers, to our fans. Um, and uh, no better proof to th- than today at the test day, uh, where we we ran a Facebook Live um, video uh, for half an hour at lunchtime, and it drew uh, by within an hour of it being run, it had draw- drawn 180,000 unique views. So people it had reached, um, which was quite remarkable. Uh, for something that we just decided to put our toe in the water with today. Um, so, 
yeah, when you when you're measuring, unfortunately, Repicom doesn't measure all those things, despite my best efforts to get them to start to do that. Um, at the moment, like all the videos that are on the V8 Supercar website, which um, have uh, yeah, cumulative millions of of, of views. Um, as regards the sponsorship model, I mean, we do both. If you look at uh, if you look at our car. Um, the Red Bull Racing Australia cars, you see, I mean, clearly Red Bull is a major consumer brand. So it's a branding exercise uh, that helps drive awareness and uh, therefore helps drive sales of cans. Um, Red Bull have been very successful the last three years. I'd like to think a little bit of that is something to do with us. Um, it's successful in the Australian footprint. And... Uh, but we also have, if you look at the um, the cars, we've had a, a relationship for over 10 years with Komatsu. Um, that's based on uh, far a very different um, model, and uh, it, it currently that um, sponsorship is more about uh, promoting um, internal staff uh, well-being, uh, making them uh, helping make them feel part of a team. Uh, having the opportunity for their apprentices to work uh, with us at, in our factory. We've, um, we're running a big program with them at the moment. Uh, and so it's nothing to do with, um, with really putting their, putting their brand out there. It's totally different. Um, by the same token, the, the Caltex relationship has only just gone in the last two years to a retail level. It always used to be about selling uh, diesel into the mining sites, um, and we used to do a lot of work around that, and almost no work around the around the retail side of Caltex. Now the emphasis is is changed. It's very much on the on the retail end, um, but it's a uh, uh, yeah we're we're adaptable, and we we will try and deliver what we think uh, suits the uh, suits the client. Mm. Well, we need to take a break, but we should talk social media right after this here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Roland Dane and Ryan Story. And uh, Roland, uh, obviously Ryan has been talking about social media for a while because I think I read something in uh, 2011, if my memory serves me correct, it was September, about social media and effective use. Do you think supercars and the media, the motorsport media, have got the right platforms and are using the using these platforms to maximise the communication opportunities? Um, yeah, I, th- I think the whole world is um, continuing to uh, to try and understand what the possibilities are and also to try and uh, weed the, um, you know, see the wood from the trees, as it were, in what makes sense in it. Because, um, you, you know, when you look, I mean, Twitter numbers overall across the world are in decline at the moment. Um, Instagram is the new big thing or Snapchat or whatever. Um, I, I'm no expert in it, but um, I have enough good people around me to to try and give me a, a heads up. And I also read, uh, avid reader of the um, of the business news and those things are often very apparent in what's going, you know, a, a very apparent uh, read on what's going on in that world. So, uh V8 supercars are not doing a bad job at the moment. They've done a very good job with video content. I think there's still uh, more to do. I've been pushing hard that we should get into this Facebook Live um, space as a as an industry uh, led by V8 supercars. hasn't happened yet, but I was talking to them again about it only tonight um, based on our experience today. 
I've seen the NRL start to use it. It looks effective. Um, where it all ends up in five years, only the liars can tell you. Um, it's a it's a moving feast. We're doing our best to keep up. Um, as Triple Eight uh, or as Red Bull Racing Australia, we've got the biggest Facebook uh, footprint um, in any club-based sport in Australia. Um, but you've got to keep it relevant, and we've got to keep it keep it moving, um, and uh, keep our ears and eyes open uh, to what's happening. So for sure, we can always do better. But I but I think overall, as an industry, um, some of the teams and and V8 supercars are not doing a, a bad job of it, um, but we need to we need to keep up with it. And certainly, we've done a better job than than Formula One has done until very recently. Mm. I guess, Ryan, one of the critical things is the internet rights are predominantly on race weekend held by uh, Fox Sports and News Limited. So that does limit what you can do on the social media platforms or on the internet platforms. I think it does, but not to the extent that it limits uh, F1, as uh, Ronald alluded to then. But certainly we need to find a way where we can engage with our broadcast partners to open up some, some channels there and, and do it in such a way that, that they get the benefit out of it as well so that we're not uh, cutting off our nose despite our face. But uh, certainly I think uh, the opportunities that we have in that space are broad and the world changes rapidly. And keeping on top of that is, is, is the key challenge. And at the end of the day, our, our, the, the big challenge for us really is to go where the people are. And we've got a, we, we've got a, uh, we've got content that uh, people are quite receptive to. And I find it quite interesting from our point of view, uh, the audience breakdown when we do posts on social media, whether it be digital or still. Uh, related to uh, the team and its current guys or, or some of Dick's history and seeing the breakdown in some of that audience. And it's always quite interesting and it's something we enjoy sharing with our partners in particular and seeing how uh, that level of engagement and that level of interaction is, is, is suitably geared. But, yeah, there's certainly tremendous opportunities in that space. And, and from, from my point of view, our team are not doing it enough. And it's something that we need to continue to commit resources to so we can continue to engage our audience. Mm. I guess it's interesting because you talked before about the, the change in audience and demographics with the, the new television deal. And I would imagine, just based on socioeconomic factors, that you are now getting much more affluent audience more regularly because of the pay TV deal and the engagement there is going to be a, at a higher level. Well, one of the things that I often talk about and uh, particularly with our, our marketing and commercial team and, and with the, some of our partners is the is the liquidity and household liquidity of uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, the key households that, that have uh, some of these uh, foxtel uh, have foxtel and, and some of the higher packages there but it does represent a different a different share and it does de- represent different uh, different demographics but it's it's a way of uh, of utilizing those in an effective way and it's uh, it's quite a complex it's quite a complex thing in terms of trying to present uh, that ROI when you're trying to hit hit eyeballs um, and I think that there are other opportunities both as a team and we've done quite a bit of independent research through uh, um, by way of uh, my background I suppose and it's something I'd, I'd love to see the sport do more of in doing some qualitative and quantitative research to understand our audience more broadly and, and, and just what that split represents and not just who is engaged and who's watching but who's not and why. So I think that there's, there's more we can do on that front to have a greater understanding of, of the product that we have and, and how to continue to make it better. Mm. Now, Ryan, don't take this the wrong way, but last uh, meeting at Winton, your two cars had a livery and a spo- of a sponsor that was well known as being on another team's car for many years. Um, Wilson Security is, I've, I've roughly added up six teams, but it could be more in 10 years. Is there a big problem with teams poaching other team sponsors? Often there are circumstances involved and uh, and, and that's something that uh, that is uh, important to acknowledge. But I think arguably there is a 
shallow pool of, of sponsorship money in sport and all the teams I know and we've discussed it um, in both team owners and commercial managers meetings need to uh, get out and, 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 and knock on more doors and present uh, the opportunity in such a way that we can get new investment in the sport. But it's such a competitive marketplace, not just into team but uh, into sport. And some of the uh, proposals and packages that are available to some of the ball sports in particular are quite quite, uh, quite unique compared to what our offering is when we're not racing week in, week out. But Roland made a, a very good point earlier in in what he has managed to build with his team and the, the uh, I suppose, the recognition that that Red Bull in particular has through their partnership with with his team. So I think, realistically speaking, the opportunity is there. And what we need to do is make sure, make sure that we're marketing it appropriately. But there are sometimes circumstances where you will see a sponsor move from one team to another. I think that there are occasions when it can be viewed in a somewhat cannibalistic way. But when you see partners grow investment and strategically move, then that's the nature of the business, I think. Mm. I, Roland, it's not all a one-way street. There's two people making a, a decision there, one to pitch at a sponsor that's already on someone else's car, and then there's the owner of the business that's not happy with where they're at. So um, obviously there's two sides to every coin. But um, how do you see it? Because quite frankly, you, you have brought in probably the biggest uh, sponsorships in the fast-moving consumer goods with firstly Vodafone and then with Red Bull? Well, um, I think the notion that there's something wrong with uh, sponsors going from one team to another is uh, is not utterly naive. I mean, it goes on uh, in all walks of life and in, and in sport in particular on a very regular basis. And uh, so whether it's sport in Australia or, or sport you know, elsewhere, um, and you know, anyone who's watched Formula One for any length of time has seen sponsor hopping going on there. Um, the sponsor hopping has gone on in, in V8 supercars, and uh, quite frankly, um, if a team loses a sponsor to another team, then the team that's lost them needs to have a jolly good hard look at itself and say, well, we were the incumbent, and anyone will tell you that it's always much easier to hold on to a sponsor than to go and get a new one. So it's the first rule of sponsorship. Retention is, um, is your starting point. So uh, the, the, any team that is um, uh, huffing and puffing about losing a sponsor to another team needs to, first of all, go and look in the mirror. Uh, because that's the that's the fundamental issue. You can't blame other people when we're not communists, uh, and part of capitalism is competition. So um, get over it. I'm just trying to think. Has anyone taken a sponsor from Triple Eight? Um, can't remember. They probably have at some point. Uh, but uh, yeah, there there can be a myriad of reasons why. Sponsors move, but fundamentally, if we lose one to another team, rather than just like Vodafone departing the sport and departing sport as a in total, um, if we lose one to another team, uh, the first thing I'll do is have a jolly good hard look at ourselves. Mm. Well, Roland, you told Speed Cafe last week, week before, all a bit of a blur to me now that the uh, sport should continue the push into Asia. What are the benefits for your team? with the overseas events? Look, um, when I say you should push into into Asia, I mean it, it should take opportunities uh, that, are, that match what we are looking for in terms of time zone, which means Asia, um, but also sustainability. And uh, I don't want to go to an event for a one-off. I want to go to events on a, you know, on a five-year plan that may well go longer than that. And uh, so um, if they are the the right event, the right place with sustainability, then to me having one or two overseas events of that type in Asia 
where the television timing works, then those events can be used by um, even Australian-based sponsors or marketing budgets uh, to give incentive programs to add a, uh, an extra point of interest, um, for instance, and um, uh, to whatever yeah, marketing initiatives they might they might be uh, throwing their weight around uh, behind in the context of sponsoring a team. So, um, so I welcome them from that point of view, and and, and, and it's good fun to be honest. And from my point of view, I enjoy uh, going and racing overseas. Uh, but it's got to be um, it's got to be somewhere we can broadcast pictures from in the right time frame, and it's got to be sustainable. And uh, and that's a big challenge. Now, if we get it right, then happy days. Ryan, what's your thoughts on the Asian invasion? I agree. I think that uh, there, when when an opportunity presents itself that that does have that longevity and makes sense for all the reasons that Roland said, then I think we need to take it take it on board. But uh, I think the the one off type things and, and and events where you don't necessarily have that uh, security and stability uh, and confidence in that, then it perhaps doesn't make sense to pursue some of those uh, some of those opportunities. But realistically speaking, it, it does make sense from a uh, from a sponsor point of view to have other opportunities within the region region without foregoing uh, the Australian uh, based events and and uh, and and what we have here locally. So I think when the right opportunity comes along that has that security and stability, then we we need to we need to jump on it as long as it makes sense for what we're doing. And when you look from a commercial point of view, when key decision makers for some of these, uh, some of these multinational companies can be located um, in the broader Asian marketplace. Then, then perhaps it, it does make sense to uh, to look uh, to look at some of those. Mm. So, knowing that we have got the Gen Two rules about to roll out, where do you see Ryan the future of V8 supercars? Is it, I said Gen Two when I sent the questions out, but I'm, I really mean a standalone specification, or do you see? supercars having to move to an international specification or could it be that we have to go hybrid where do you see the crystal ball taking us well i think the interesting thing first off is understanding what a uh, what 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 the sport looks like without uh, in-depth uh, manufacturer support and, and we certainly uh, survive uh, without it at the moment um, but looking forward uh, if there isn't an appetite from major motor vehicle manufacturers right now to enter the sport, what does that look like? And I think you have to look at the question of sustainability and, and cost effectiveness without necessarily jeopardising the racing. I don't think moving to the GT3 format is the right answer. I think having our own bespoke, bespoke cost-effective model is the way to go. And I think what we instead need to look for in terms of cost efficiencies is potentially looking at engine and drivetrain options from the GT3 model potentially. And certainly when you look at the current Gen 2 rules, were, for example, Ford to re-enter the sport, there are already engines sitting on the shelf at Roush Yates that have been developed for the GT program and, and other motorsport programs that would work as a very good base uh, for, for us to develop a twin turbo V6 for supercar competition. So I think when you look at some effective economies by what else is happening in the world of motorsport, uh, you can easily apply those here. But the challenge to the model is finding something that works that still leaves us with a strong parity formula that still allows us to have fantastic racing. Because I think anything that jeopardises the product, and certainly in some respects you could say adopting GT3 rules might, in terms of the closeness of the racing and the argent barge that we're renowned for, if you risk that, you uh, you risk alienating the audience. So I think, realistically, we have to have our own product, but it has to be sustainable and cost-effective. Mm. Roland? Yeah, I mean, Ryan has uh, um, got a, a very good understanding, in my view, of... Uh, uh, of the situation as I see it as well. Um, the Gen 2, yeah, those, the, the rules such as they are, you know, allowing people to run a, a different format of engine, that was my 
my idea first put forward to the board in 2013 and again in uh, early 2014 um, when um, the then management in 13 paid no attention. Uh, so luckily when James got fully um, got fully uh, integrated into the company, James Warburton, then he, he understood the need to um, to look forward and see uh, what what really we had to embrace in terms of change. Um, and the whole ethos of what I was putting forward was um, GT3 uh, will never work for a fully professional motor racing series like ours. It's a gentleman's racing category, and it's a very good one for that. But um, if you want to bankrupt everyone by August the 1st, you'd sw- switch to GT3 now. Um, the one element of GT3, though, that is uh, been very, very successful, very good, is the engine. And the whole point of the so-called Gen 2 rules was to allow those engines, I mean, not only those engines, it could be something else, but those engines primarily, to migrate to our cars um, if manufacturers wanted to do that, um, or if if teams did with the tacit approval of manufacturers, uh, to give us more options rather than just being uh, stuck with the notion that you could only run um, a V8 engine in case somebody turned around and said, uh, look, to be honest, we don't want to run a V8 engine or we've got a V8 engine in a GT3 car that we'd like to run. So um, it was to, to try and, uh, the whole idea was to try and give us more options whilst keeping a bespoke chassis uh, that, uh, to be honest, is extremely cost-effective. There is no more cost-effective uh, touring car formula in the world um, when you measure it against the number of kilometers that we do. We do a huge number of kilometers every year, somewhere between twelve and 14,000 kilometers a year. And uh, BTCC does about 2,500, for instance. So um, (laughs) we have got a massively effective per kilometer category at the moment um, in terms of cost, in terms of parity. We're the best in terms of parity out there. Uh, So why do we want to upset that? Well... It's certainly a lot more we could talk about. We'll take a final break and then back with the White Flag Lab next on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Roland Dane, Ryan Story. It's uh, been a, a big show, but a final thought or observation, Ryan Story. Well, I think uh, realistically, is the, the road that we've we've been down the last uh, year with the change in TV model and the landscape, the uh, evolving and, and growing audience at the at the racetrack, and, and Winston's a perfect example: seventy odd thousand people over the course of three days. There's still tremendous promise for what it is we're doing, and we can only make it better. And I can't begin to tell you how excited we are about continuing to go racing. And being able to do that with Team Penske is, is something that's a, an extraordinary opportunity for us. And, and we can we can see the light at the end of the tunnel for what we're doing. We can see uh, improvements in our competitiveness, and we're just excited to go racing. So can't wait to get closer to the end of the year with some of the longer races uh, can't wait to see how the championship continues to evolve with so many winners hoping to get both of my blokes names in among that set sometime soon but uh, yeah certainly the promise with what we're doing and 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 some of the opportunities we have ahead of us are pretty exciting mm. roland Dane, a final thought or observation 
look, I um, I came to to live um, full time in Australia some uh, 13 years ago on the basis that I wanted to take part and compete in the in the best touring car championship in the world um, and to compete at and win Bathurst. Uh, and I still, for the same reasons, um, I still want to be here. I still want to take part. I still look forward to, to every race meeting enormously because it is the best touring car series in the world. And uh, as long as we keep our heads, uh, as long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them, and uh, it'll it'll be um, a great success story, I'm sure, for uh, certainly see me out and allow me to hand over to the to the next generation. That's uh, certainly my plan, and uh, I uh, look forward to seeing that happen. We'll have to do it again because I want to know who the lunatics are. Roland, a little game to finish it off in a much more light-hearted manner, but it's who would you rather be? And with your Irish connection, who would you rather be, Derek Daly or Eddie Jordan? Uh, I wouldn't want to be either of them, to be quite honest. I'll have to duck, duck the question for different reasons. I've got uh, absolutely uh, no no reason to want to be uh, either of them or to even be in the same room. Right then. I didn't expect that to go that way. Ryan Story, who would you rather be? Malcolm Turnbull, the uh, Prime Minister incumbent, or Donald Trump, the Republican who wants to be President? <laughs> well, um, gee, uh, I'm sort of, uh, I'm, I'm conflicted for reasons that I won't disclose here, but uh, but I think that uh, both have challenges ahead of them, no doubt about it, but uh, if you're looking at their electoral chances shall we say but uh, it's hard to uh, it's hard to uh, look away from the, the local choice there all right uh, bloody well hope so ryan <laughs> <laughs> roland pleasure to catch up with you so much more we could talk about but we'll have to cut it short there thank you ryan always a pleasure to catch up with you terrific thanks craig that's all we have time for this week on inside supercars till next time round keep smiling and bye for now Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.